What we're going to go on today is part two of this four-part series. It's been the battle within and talking about uh, how we confront temptation. And so Scott was here last week. Were most people here last week? Show of hands. I'm seeing heads nod. Uh, so just a quick recap is we dug into Matthew 4, which is where Jesus was te- he went out to the wilderness and was tempted by, by Satan himself. And Scott brought out a couple key points in last week's lesson. Uh, the first one really is that we tend to focus very narrowly when we're confronted with temptation. And we start to rationalize uh, this issue of self-control versus will anybody get hurt? Is this really bad? And he, he dug into that a little bit and then challenged us really to see that this temptation, when we face it, is really not an isolated or short-term issue. It's really something that has a, a continuous impact on our future, on our family and friends, and on our faith. And so what we're going to do here in part two is dig in really to that last part, which is, is open up and, and, and look a little deeper at how temptation, these moments of temptation, affect our faith or our trust in God. And so the key point, the main point that we're going to talk about today, and we'll, we'll spend the next 30 minutes kind of digging through this, but uh, if, if you just have one sentence uh, that you want to take away, it's that these points of temptation are really not short-term uh, challenges between, hey, am I just going to throw another sin on the pile of all the sins I have? There's thousands of them, millions of them, and Jesus died for them all. Not that that's an appropriate way to look at it, but at least if I'm being honest, I can say at times when I'm faced with these, sometimes that's how, I, how small I look at temptation. It's like, it's another, you know, it's not that big a deal. But really instead, these temptations, even the small ones, are really a very calculated campaign by the enemy, by Satan, to try and erode our, our faith or our trust in God. And so we're going to talk today about how he does that, how we can, uh, from God's word, recognize that and battle against it. Because when he does this, what he does is really his ultimate goal. Once we become believers, he can't stop our eternal salvation. He can't unsave us, but he can sure cause us to miss out on a lot of blessings that the, God, that the Lord has promised us uh, once we become adopted into his family. All right, and by those promises, just I'm hypersensitive to the uh, health and wealth and prosperity gospel. And so when I say, you know, he, Satan's going to rob us of blessings, I'm not saying what might be considered the inverse of, well, if we, if we battle temptation, if we're victorious against it, well, then good things are going to happen to us. But just to, to be really clear, the blessings that God promises us sometimes are equivalent to the blessings that we view on earth, you know, wealth and happiness, right? But sometimes they're not. Sometimes, a lot of times, it's joy, it's joy, which does not mean happiness on earth, right? Or it's peace, which does not mean calm on earth. And if we look through the, the New Testament especially, we see that you just go to the 12 apostles, right? Every, all but one of them died a martyr's death. And so I just feel like when, I, when we say blessings here and the blessings he's promised us, that blessing really is this intimate relationship with him and our, and our process of becoming more like him. All right, so... To dig in on this, let's first look back at uh, the wilderness, all right? So Jesus was tempted. He was tempted with really pretty legitimate things, all right? He'd, he'd been out there. He'd been fasting for 40 days. I think this way Scott put it last week was uh, he'd had a party. And it really was, if you look at his baptism, the Holy Spirit descended from heaven like a dove. And God spoke audibly, said, this is my son who I am well pleased, right? So this was quite a party. And then it says after that, uh, when we get into Matthew 4, that then God, <laughs> the Spirit, led him to the wilderness to be tempted. All right, there's a couple of key points there. You know, he was led there. He didn't accidentally get there. God did lead him there. God did not tempt him, but he led him there to be tempted. Uh, and while he's in the wilderness, he fasted for 40 days. All right, so that we, we can take from that that God had called him to say, I want you to fast and pray for 40 days. And so when Satan comes up there, 
he comes up and he says, hey, you look hungry. You know, hey, why don't you make some food? And, and um, I'm, I'm bringing in several things that when I've read through this passage through the years, whatever, I've just missed some things until this week. Um, Satan wasn't trying to make it a fair fight. He wasn't saying, you look weak. This isn't going to be fun if I beat you. Why don't you eat some food, right, so that, so that this will be a good fight, right? And he, wasn't, and he certainly didn't care about Jesus' well-being, right? But Satan knew that he was hungry, and he also knew that God had instructed him to fast and to be in the wilderness. And so what he was really doing there was attacking his trust or his obedience to God. But he was doing so uh, very subtly, and this is one of the key points I want to pull out here, is that turning stones into bread, very legitimate, not a sin. In fact, later, uh, twice in his ministry, he would multiply loaves of bread and fish and feed thousands, right, among many other miracles. So it wouldn't have been the act of making that bread or that, the stones into bread that would have been the sin, Right, and so I, as we dig in to how this applies to us, I wanted to go through just to try and bring it home to us. You know, a lot of us are fortunate. We probably all had breakfast this morning, and, and we're not sitting here being tempted to, to uh, by hunger. But there are other legitimate desires that we have here. Marshall, I may have to get you to help me if if I lost this. Oh, here we go. Or maybe that was you. Was that you? No, it's me. Good. All right. So there are um, there's some legitimate ones. We'll talk about this Wednesday with our kids as well. Uh, but friendship, right? God made us to desire companionship, right? When he finished creating Adam, right? He said, it's not good. It's not good that man should be alone. And he created woman and, and it told us to go and multiply. And so we know that we are made for companionship. The Trinity itself is a perfect picture of selfless companionship between the Father and the Son and, and the Holy Spirit. So we know that. But yet, in our earnest desire to go and seek that companionship, Satan can intervene with, with the clever deceitfulness that, that, he, that he is capable of doing and cause us to pursue the wrong friendships. Right? He can cause us to per, 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 uh, pursue these friendships in the wrong way. Right? What do I have to do to be this friendship there? And so there's temptations there. We say, well, I, I, you know, I want, I, I want to meet this desire. God, you put this in me. I want these friends. Um, and I'll leave it, leave it at that. The other one's success. So on Wednesday, we'll talk about, well, you know, we all want to get good grades, right? Because then we can tithe more to God when we grow up and, and make a lot of money. At least that's the way we might rationalize that. But when we're, when we're a, as students faced with, all right, all right, I made a bad decision. I didn't study the night before like I should have. I didn't do this project. There's going to be plenty of shortcuts, especially with the internet. There's so many shortcuts, right, to get around that cheating, right, to, to achieve success. And while that may seem small, no one gets hurt, right? The, the point we're trying to come back to here is it's these small things where the devil's trick, he's deceiving us. He's like, you're not committing one of the big sins. You're not murdering. You didn't shoplift, right? You're just, you're, you're trying to, to do better in school so that when you grow older, you'll be successful and God can use you better, right? That's very much, if, we, if we're honest, a line that, that Satan will put into us when we're faced with some of these temptations to get us to rationalize some of these things. But what's really happening if we accept that is that we're slowly starting to, to erode that trust or that faith we have in God. I won't go through, through all of these, but certainly um, our pleasure, We'll talk about this one this Wednesday, but, you know, sex. God created sex, and he also told us very specifically how it is to be enjoyed, right? There's nothing bad about it, but today more than ever, our kids, and even ourselves, if we're being honest, are, are really bombarded or, or battled with a different picture that's being portrayed of how this good thing, this gift from God, uh, is being used wrongly here. Uh, things, and, and the last one I'll say is even serving others, because this is one I've, in particular, fell victim to many times, or or I should say, just, just failed, um, make it more active. It was my fault. But um, God's very clear of, like, love God first, 
love your family second, and then pour into your ministries, right? And he, he does that very intentionally because you can't be effective in your ministries if you're not spending time with God, right? And, and you can't be effective in your ministries if you're not keeping your house well at home, right? We hear that, I believe it's in Timothy, or wherever we get the verses they always use when they talk about deacons and ministers, right? It must be a man who keeps a good household, all right? And so it can be a very easy one. This is one multiple times in life I've fallen into of like, well, you know, Amy, I can't do this because I got to go serve God. And the thing, <laughs> it was an excuse. And it wasn't until later I really looked back at it. It was like, no, I, I, it just happened that the thing I found fun and wanted to do was serving God. So I was throwing up the God card of like, hey, Amy, I know. But it was no different than if I would have said, you know, I know that you want this. You want this time uh, with us together. You want us to do these things but I'm going to go play 42 with the guys, right? It was really no different because, because Satan had gotten in there and, and he had he'd gotten me to reverse my priorities in a way and I'd fallen right into it such that now while I thought I was doing good things, I was really actually sinning and taking really my own wisdom into, into, wisdom into my own hands instead of really knowing and following the word of God even though sometimes it didn't make sense because maybe it meant I wasn't able to serve in a way that I felt called to serve. All right, so here's the trap. I, I mentioned a little bit here, just to be very specific, though. Um, the way Satan will go to attack our trust in God the greatest is by taking these legitimate desires, and instead of getting us to depend on God's timing and God's will, right? Because not all these things we desire will we ever get. And some of them we will get at, in delayed. In other words, not in the time that we would want. And the trap is he'll come in and he'll say, well, if, if it's going to happen, you better go do it. And in America, but you could say in the world, we've certainly inundated with this, I got to do it. It's up to me. Just do it. It's, right? it's, uh, if it's going to happen, I'm going to make it happen. I, get, I fall into this at work sometimes with the team I manage. I'm like, man, if you want it done right, do it yourself, right? And, and so we get, we get uh, attacked by this to say it's a good thing you want, but do it this way. And this is exactly what was going on in the wilderness when Jesus was being tempted by Satan in that first temptation to turn the rocks into, uh, into bread. All right, so I want to jump in. Uh, as we're studying through this this week, there's really three things that were presented about how the different campaigns or attacks that the Satan will use uh, to try and achieve this, to convince us to go and seek good things, but to do them in our own power, in our own wisdom, in our own timing. Uh, and the first one is really, is God big enough to handle this? All right, and so depending on, on uh, your background or your ways, but so, certainly if you're a believer, this one may not be a struggle, but, but I wanted to bring it up because uh, we're a believer, if we truly trust Jesus with our life, well, we know how big God is. We know he created the world and we know, we know all these things. But um, in, in preparing for this, I was reading through Deuteronomy and it's recounting the, his, the history of the Israelites. And we'll go into that more later, but just a, a preview. The Israelites, one of the great stories we all know is they're in Egypt and they're slaves, right? And then they get taken out of Egypt Basically, the, the power nation of the time lets their major, the majority of their workforce, their slave workforce, go. Right? And you guys, most of you probably know the story. There's a lot that went on there. God did a lot of miracles, including killing every firstborn son of the Egyptians, which ultimately then Pharaoh said, all right, you guys go. And so now these thousands and thousands of, of Israelites, they go to march, and they hit the Red Sea, and Pharaoh's changed his mind, and, ha- and his whole army is chasing after him. Sea parts, they go across. As soon as they cross it, half the, the Egyptian army's in there, and God wipes them all out. He brings the walls of water down, and you know, imagine if half of the U.S. is armed forces, we're the superpower of the day, you could say, were wiped out, right? That's a big, crazy miracle. But yet, it was not very much later 
that they made a false god. They made a golden calf while Moses was up on the mountain, and they forgot who he was. And so I bring that up here just to say that while uh, those of us who may have grown up in church or active believers, we know the power of God. Oh, we still shouldn't uh, push that down as like that's the elementary stuff. When we, and, and so for this one in particular, where I was convicted, I, I jumped back. Um, I believe it was Josh that spoke on the um, scripture memory. Was that, he was up here and he was like reciting whole passages. I couldn't see it because it was a podcast, but later the, the kids were telling me that's what he was doing. I was like, wow, that's amazing. And so this is the, one of the passages or a part of one of the passages where I'm trying to do the same thing. And I have not done it yet. So I'm going to read this, but it says he's invis- the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, uh, invisible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And so I highlighted a couple of these points because um, I travel, I wouldn't say a lot, but I travel for work, and I'm an engineer, and in fact, I even used to work for an avionics company, and so I, I actually have no fear of planes. I understand the redundancy, the backup systems and all that. But for some reason, every time I get on a plane, I get anxiety, and I can't control it. Like, there's been times I'm like, wow, this is going to be awkward because there's this nice young lady who's probably nervous too sitting next to me, like, you know, teenager or whatever, and this big fat guy's about to have a nervous breakdown here. And, and, and I mean, I, I, Amy will remember, I got off the plane once at a layover. It's like, I don't know if I can get back on it. And, and, we're, and we're able to work through that. God was good, good in that. And, and, and it's virtue. But I, I, I do that to just say I, I constantly have to go back and remember God's big. He created the universe. Not only that, right, he, he calmed the storm, right? So I, I go back to the story of the disciples when they're, they're over in the sea and they're on the boat. Remember, Jesus calms the storm. That was another one dug into. I was like, you know, these were sailors. They weren't afraid of This must have been some storm. And they were terrified. And so I use that to say, so yeah, I'm not so, so weak. <laughs> they were terrified. And then I go in and say, look, Jesus, he calmed that storm. Uh, and he stopped that. So that's the first one. And that one may not be a hard one for a lot of us to, to really believe God's big enough, all right? But if it is, there's a lot of verses in the Bible that we can go through to understand the power and the might of him from Revelations and Isaiah and Genesis, several areas where it just describes the majesty and power of God. Uh, but the second one might get a little bit closer to home, and it's really, does God care about this? All right, so that, that's, a, a, I think, a, a much more common one that God will use, especially maybe with new believers, uh, newer believers that, that have not maybe it's been as intimate with God on a daily basis, practicing those disciplines we talked about in the, the previous series. It's like, he's a big God. All right, so at my company, we've got 7,000 people. And my, there is a lot of things my CEO does not care about, doesn't even know about, and doesn't want to know about. And there's a lot of things even my personal manager doesn't care about. And if they, and if they go bad, she probably won't even know, right? I'll have to deal with the consequences of it not working out, but she won't even know. But that's not God. Although I think a lot of times there's lots of worldly analogies that we just naturally use, whether it's our father or our boss or whatever, to try and um, understand God. But the reality is that's not God. God is outside time. God is omniscient, means all-knowing. And God does have a very personal relationship with each one of us. And there's a couple verses that jumped out this week uh, to me that specifically I think can be an encouragement to us if we, if we identify that Satan's trying to attack. It's like, God doesn't really care about this. You need to take care of this yourself. Uh, and, and this one here is uh, Psalms 139. Uh, and so we know Psalms, most of them or the majority of them were written by David, who is said to be a man after God's own heart. And while all scripture is God-breathed, the Psalms, a lot of times when I go to them, are 
really hearing, to me, I, I try and interpret them as we're hearing the heart of God, or we're hearing the heart that God would have us have before him. And so this whole psalm is a great psalm uh, about God's love for us. This is the fearfully and wonderfully made. And, um, and here it says, O oh Lord, you've examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts, and I can't read that one even before when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I am. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it. Lord, and then I fast forward ahead because I wanted to get this one in here and there's only so much room in the slide. Said you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and you knit me together in my mother's womb. All right, so here God's telling us, he's telling us, I knew you before your parents even knew you existed. Right, before they, they ever even knew you had been conceived, I knew you. And there's other areas in the Bible where it say he knows all the days of our life. He that began a good work in you will, will finish it. Right? There, we can go through the Bible over and over again and see God does have a very personal relationship with each one of us. Uh, and if we want to fast forward, let's hear it from God himself. So Jesus here in Matthew chapter 10 is about to send the disciples out. If you read a few verses earlier, he's sending them out. And this is basically, a lot of you may remember this. I had to go back and kind of read ahead to remember what the context was. This is where he's telling the disciples, go out through all the land, speaking only to the Jews, the Israelites, God's chosen people, and tell them about these promises, these great things. And then he says, basically he's saying, and no one's going to like what you have to say, and you're going to be beaten, and you're going to be flogged, and all this stuff. And he goes, and by the way, don't take clothes, don't even take a walking stick, no money, not a sword, you just go. You take hospitality where you can, bless the house if you feel they're worthy, and you go on. All right, so after he's basically just said, all right, go out, and this is going to be awful. It'll be like a Aggie going to a Longhorn game. Sorry, I had to get one football thing in there. And you're going to go walk through, through this here. Well, then, then here's the next thing he says to reassure them, to comfort them. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. So fear, fear not. Therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. All right? And so if we, if we go back to that previous verse in uh, Colossians, mentioned that all things are created and all things are st- sustained through Jesus, right? So that verse was basically telling us that God, creation is not something he did. It's something he's a part of and doing. And if we look here, this just reinforces that. It's saying there's not a bird that can fall from the sky apart from God allowing that to happen. And even the, the hairs on our head, he doesn't just know how many they are. It's telling us here they're actually numbered. So he could tell the difference in this hair in this hair, right? If, if you kind of dig in and, and meditate on what he's saying with this verse. And so these were just a couple I brought up for this second attack that Satan will try and use to get us to go chase legitimate things, but do them outside of trusting God, do them on our own power and our own wisdom. And so uh, the encouragement there would be if, if, we can, if we recognize that, that attack coming, to run to this scripture, to run to the, these verses and let God renew these promises in our heart that he's given us there so that we don't think God doesn't care about this or God doesn't even know this is happening in my life. This, this isn't real. Uh, or is it, is it bubbling up to the top? But this is the one I'd like to spend the rest of the time on today. And it's really, this is, I think, the most effective one, certainly in my life. And as I tried to think about friends and just, you know, theoretically or whatever, but this is, man, this is quite a scheme, all right? And, and it's really that Satan tries to tempt us. We can't trust God, all right? So this comes back to the main point that these temptations we get are really very calculated, orchestrated attacks to, over time, erode our faith and trust in God by getting us to chase legitimate things, but to do them in our own power and our own wisdom, 
All right, so to do that, let's jump back to the wilderness. All right, so Jesus is out in the wilderness. He's tempted for these legitimate things. Uh, and we're digging in really to this first one about, he said, make some food. You've been out here 40 days. That's long enough, right? Make some food and then let's talk. Uh, and so what does Jesus do? He goes through the scriptures, right? So a few weeks ago when we were doing Pound Basic and we're talking about, I believe it was still Josh's, the scripture memory one, uh, he made the comment that, that the only offensive weapon spoken about in, in, in Colossians in the armor of God is the sword, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And that was one of the, the uh, reasons he said that we should be memorizing this passage because it is the offensive weapon in this armor of God as, as uh, it's written in Colossians. And so Jesus does that and he, he runs in here and he says, all right, he came, said, make some stones. And Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. All right, before we go into to what this means, let's go do a little bit of history uh, about the Israelites. Uh, just a quick uh, Old Testament review. The Israelites, Jews, they were chosen people of God. All right? After uh, creation, the flood, Noah, that God, he goes to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, says, I'm going to multiply you. You'll be as numerous as the stars. Uh, and God did that. He chose them, not because of anything they did, but he chose them because he wanted to use this people to show the world who he is, who God's character is. And he does that as you read through the Old Testament and you look at how the Israelites, the Jews, react to God's blessings and to God's uh, discipline. Right? We can always see what we're, we're doing there but at the same, or, or see ourselves in that role. But what we can see even more is, is how God is responding. That's one of the ways God makes himself very tangible, very real to us. Right? So, so he did that to show the world his glory, his majesty, to make us aware of who he was. All right, and so... Um, he promised that they would dwell in the promised land, all right? So he made this promise, and then we went back earlier and said, okay, um, lots of great miracles happen. Again, we won't go through the whole thing, but they, they, they leave Egypt. They see all these miracles, uh, and they're out in the wilderness, and uh, they know that they have this promised land. It's milk and honey and olive trees. And, and Deuteronomy, if you go back and read in those first 10 chapters, Moses does kind of a, a recount of like, basically like, look how many times you messed up. Look how awesome all this stuff God did was. And then you kept doing this, right? And he, he describes these promises that God said. He's it's going to be your paradise. He's like, your livestock will not be barren. He's like, your vines will not wither. He's basically saying, you're going to get exactly what you want uh, to live a life of comfort. I'm going to bless you so that all nations will see that and know that I'm God. All right, but even knowing that, and after seeing all these miracles, multiple times they lose faith in God, right? Right after seeing the, the Egyptian army wiped out, or right after it's relative, but uh, they, say, they go, and while Moses is up 40 days in the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, the law that they're to adhere to to show their faith to their, to their God that's delivering them, uh, is when they, they come to Aaron, and they say, hey, build us a God. Moses, he's forsaken us, and... They make this calf and this big battle, this awful thing breaks out. And there's multiple other instances of that where they complain we want water and they complain we want, uh, you know, to eat meat. And, and ultimately, from, from some of these failures, what happens is God says, you're going to go roam the wilderness for 40 years. He's like, you are a stiff-necked people, is, is the word in, in my translation he says. And you're going to go and you're going to roam the wilderness for 40 years. And why did he do that? And this is going to come into why Jesus chose this verse here. Um, he did that, well, actually, before we jump there, because we're going to read, read about that. After, at the end of that 40 years, when you get to Deuteronomy chapter 1, Moses is basically giving his final sermon, if you will. And I, I'm, 
somebody, Brett, one of you might call me out because I, I didn't get all the way through Deuteronomy, but I, I read through these first 12 chapters, and this was my interpretation of it, so I want to be, be uh, full disclosure there. As I'm reading it, it, it it's, uh, and I will finish it this week, but as I was reading through it, I mean, right, chapter 8 is the verse we're doing, so I went too past it. All right, so as we're digging into that, Moses is sitting there, he's recounting all of this history that had gone on, and that's where I mentioned everybody saying, here's the things God promised us, here's the things God did, Here's where we failed. Here's the thing God promised. Here's the things he did for us. Here's where we failed. And he goes through all of that. And he said, but now we're at the end of this 40 years. And he's like, now we're going to go to the promised land. But Moses couldn't go. Well, part of his punishment, his consequences, is he's like, you will not enter the promised land with your people. All right, and so he's basically saying, he goes through and he basically goes through the Ten Commandments again. He said, this is how you should act. And he ultimately says, and eventually when you don't, you're going to be scattered and you're going to become slaves, which uh, eventually comes true, of course, later uh, in, the, in the Old Testament. All right, so here's the verse now that Jesus jumped to. All right, so we hear that verse, and I don't know if you're like me. Uh, previously when I read that verse, here's what, here was my deep theological interpretation of man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And it was, yeah. Jesus was fully God. He was fully human. He lived a perfect life. And this passage is here to show me that he was tempted just like I was. So he knows what it's like when there's temptation. Thank you, Jesus. And, and move on. And, and, and I, I saw this line of like, all right, this line in particular is trying to tell me the word of God's important. That was about as, as deep as I got into it. But as I was digging in, again, when you're preparing to speak, like, all right, I better actually read a lot and, and, know, and try and know as much as I can about the context. Um, you dig into that, when Jesus, it hit me, when Jesus said this, he was saying a phrase that everyone at that time who, who was an Israelite, a Jew, would have known what he was referring to. And it was this verse, and it's a much greater context when you think about that verse was talking about they are now have just endured their 40-year consequence wandering through the wilderness, daily eating manna, no meat, and they couldn't save it or it would rot. So every day they had to just trust that God would bring them the food they needed. And every day, they, as they would travel through other people's land that was not their own, they had to trust that God would not allow them to be attacked and, and killed. And so if you, if you read here, this, the, more of the verse that Jesus goes to, it says, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. All right, and so the point when he was coming back to this, he was just giving the very succinct, the title of a book, if you will, kind of summary to Satan to say, no, no. God has shown that we must first trust in his wisdom and his word, and when we do that, all our needs will be provided for. All right, and so if you go a little bit further uh, in this passage, it, it really starts uh, to, to stick even more. At least it did for me. And so, um, man, I, this white here messed me up. But I'll, you know what? I'll pull this out of the actual um, Bible here. So Deuteronomy 8, um, 11, starting verse 11, says, Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his, and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them. And when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget 
that the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to, uh, uh, test you to do good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers, and it is this day. All right, and so if we dig into that more, the passage that Jesus is referring to to battle this temptation, right? Hey, you're hungry, just make some bread, right? God made you, you're fully human now uh, here on earth, so you're hungry, make some bread, right? And he's going back to this passage and saying, no, no, I remember the teachings of God. Back as, as the uh, Israelites were about to enter the promised land, I'm going back to this commandment from God through Moses that said, do not forget who gives you the power to sustain, to have any of the success that you do. And trust now in that person to give you the success, to give you the friendships, to give you the pleasure, to give you the things that you need. While you, while he may have, while you may have the power to go and seek those yourself, the very power to seek that was given from him. So why would we take that and go jump out ahead of God? Let's continue to be dependent on God daily, just like the Israelites were when they were going through the wilderness. Even though God has given us the power to self-sustain or to go and meet some of these needs in our own time and outside of his wisdom. All right, so here's the trap. As I was, I was thinking through how, how this might apply to my life, I've never been tempted to actually kill somebody. All right, full confession here. If I said it otherwise, I think it's recorded. That'd be really, <laughs> it could be bad later in life. But I've never been killed, and most of you probably haven't either, right, to, to literally kill somebody, right? But I am tempted to gossip. And actually, I'm not much of a gossiper, but, and so I was actually going to take a pass on this one. But then I realized, nope, I, I do just as bad. I'm tempted to gossip through omission, right? Because I'm an agreeer. I like to agree with people. And whether it's at work, at home, wherever, if there's gossip, you know what happens if you go and, and disagree with gossip, right? right? You upset somebody, or they, right? It goes like that. And so my, my tendency here is to be like, ah, you know, I'm not. They sinned, they gossiped, but I'm not going to say anything. I'm just, we'll just let it go, right? right? So there, there I, I, I just jumped to me. There's an attack. There's that by the devil. And I'm not saying that the, the recommendation or what I internalized was, all right, every time I got to jump up on a, and throw a Bible at somebody when they're gossiping. It wasn't that, but it's just that I just haphazardly have condition myself to deal with this in a certain way, and, and that's wrong. Adultery. I have never honestly been t- tempted to cheat on my wife. Never once has that, has that come up. But I can say, and Brett said it a few weeks ago, so it makes it a little easier for me, I'm tempted by porn. I'm tempted by lustful thoughts, and every guy is, right? God made us that way to, to, to be creatures who love women and, and hence our, our wives, right? But then the devils, he's put those temptations out there and absolutely will tempt me to say, that's not cheating. That's, no, that's not. That is, good thing you're not doing that, Chris, but this is not. You're just meeting a need, right? So, so those, these are the kinds of things that we see here. Uh, to steal, I, I've never been really tempted to shoplift. Uh, I have a funny story about that in college, but we'll save that for another time. Uh, maybe there was one time. But, um, but I've n- not, anymore, I've never been tempted, uh, and it wasn't really shoplifting, uh, to, <laughs> to steal. 
Man, I still got a lot of work to do on this, honestly. All right, um, <laughs> but I, t- today I'm never actually tempted to steal. All right, but you know, where I am tempted is to round up um, healthily when I'm putting down the amount of the value of the stuff I donated to Red Cross uh, for my taxes, right? I mean, they always just give you the blank slip. You put whatever you want on there. I'm tempted to do that. My wife's self-employed. We get taxed a lot. I mean, I'm looking everywhere I can to try, right? I do get tempted, and I've seen this. We'll talk about this with the, with the kids. Um, find somebody, drop some money. I, I, I stumble across a phone, right? And like, oh, I'm going to keep this. This is great. Someone lost it, as opposed to going and seeking and saying, is there a way I could find its owner and bless that person by returning this to them, right? All right, so see, these are the kind of things that I, as I was doing this, uh, um, these last couple, I guess I am tempted on both sides. I'm absolutely tempted to lie. <laughs> and, uh, but more than that, the subtlety is uh, times when I may think I've had a victory over that temptation of lying, I haven't because I've had actually fallen to the temptation of, of telling part of the truth because I know the whole truth will not produce the results that I want, right? So let's jump. We've got this boxing stuff. It's right, like, hey, look over here. And then the devil gets me with the hook from the other side. It's like, no, <laughs> gotcha, right? And, and then oh, lastly, uh, jealousy. This is a big one I can say in my life, uh, pride and jealousy. I go to, to James 3, 15 or 3, 3, 16, where it talks very specifically against this because um, I, I guess for better or worse, um, it, my job competitive and I want to succeed and all this. And I found many times uh, just at work, and, and this doesn't just happen at work, but it's a safe one to talk about. I, I've gotten very jealous because someone's gotten credit for, for something that I felt like I did. And now whether I really did or not, I don't know. If, if you ask me, I did. But the, the fact is in my heart, I'm jealous. I'm like, why are they getting the glory? I did all this work and now they're going to get this and I'm not. And, and, and that was a very tangible one for me where it was like, God saying, look, the very ability to have this job and to do what you do and to even for that success to happen, I gave you. All right. So don't you think I'm not worried if someone else got credit for what you just did? Because if I want you to be CEO of this company, I will make you CEO of this company. And if I don't, you will not be CEO of this company. I don't care how hard you try, right? And, and so this was a, 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 just a, a point, again, of reflection this week on, on how are these more subtle ways that the devil's coming in and trying to, to give me these honest things, right? I, I want to be successful. I want to provide for my family. I want to give more money to the church and to the things of God and what are you, all of that. Uh, and so then I'm thinking, well, now what do I got to do to do that as opposed to can I not just be obedient to God and, and walk in what he would have, have me do uh, and let his will be done there? All right. So drawing this up to a close and, and we'll jump into to our questions, there's, um, there's a, a couple, three really applications that I would suggest we might try applying to do this. And the first one really is perspective. So nothing's going to change if we just walk out of here and say, man, that was, that was really insightful. Uh, I, I'll have to remember that. And so we talked about in the previous series this discipline of prayer. And, and so the first challenge uh, I would put out here is for perspective. And specifically, as we go to the Lord in prayer, to pray for that, those unknown temptations that are going to come into our life and ask him to give us the eyes to see them for what they are. They're not a short-term test of will. They're a long-term attack on our trust in God. And so we pray daily as we pray for other things. To add to that list, let's pray for perspective. God, do not let me get sucker punched. Let me see it coming and then show me how to deal with it. The second one throughout there is our, our preparation. All right, and so what, what are, if we go back to the analogy of Jesus, he was hungry and the devil said, make some bread. 
Right? So what, what, what are we hungry for? Right? And you don't have to answer here, but it, on the next one, I, I do want you to think about that. What, what are those habitual chronic temptations that the devil's figured out exist in your life that he can use, use against you? Doing the same likewise. What, what are those? And now because we know those, let's not just pray, let me see them coming. I know these are going to come. I know that Satan's going to attack me with pride. I know Satan's going to attack me with with uh, lust and these different things. So what can I do to practice, right? So let me practice on how I'm going to deal with those. Just like we practice other things in our life, let me think about, well, hey, let me look at these last few times. We'll go to the football analogy. All right, when they ran this play three times in a row, oh, let's adjust our defense. It's the same kind of thing. We, we, if we, the things we know and we do see coming, let's actually plan and not just on the fly figure out, hey, how do we, how do we deal with this? And then the last one is prompts. So would everybody... Uh, humor me and take your phones out or your planners, whatever you have. And, there, and there's, a, there's an important reason behind this. All right, open your calendar or your to-dos or, or whatever, your reminders, um, because we're going to talk about this Wednesday with the kids. I'm going to have them do the same thing. Uh, and it's really to create prompts in our life that for, force us to come back and examine these things. Because one of the best things, <laughs> tr- uh, campaigns on a totally different topic that the devil can use to try and lure us away from the blessings and the relationship with God is making us busy, right? And, and they say, if he can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. I, I prefer the saying, uh, he'll make you busy to make you bad. In other words, if he can keep you busy, then you can't be plugged into the source. And so take that, your phone out and pick a time on Saturday. And the reason I say Saturday is I'm going to have all, the, all our kids on Wednesday open up and make a, an event on Saturday, Saturday a reminder. And, and I'm going to ask them in there to either, if they know it now, write down the thing they're hungry for. And write it in there. And if they don't, then just write down some thought right now that God's put on their heart during this time. And then when, on Saturday, when this comes up, when this reminder comes up, for them to just pause, take a time, and then to go and practice one of these things about that, to go to prayer, to not let this be just a point and then let it be attenuated with the business of life, but to actually try and make this a recurrence. And so I'll even go a step further. Anybody that wants some extra credit on this, make that a repeat entry, right? So that every Saturday you get a bing, right? And maybe you're driving, you're like, oh, okay, well, I'm driving. You know, let me, let me actually go and reflect on, have I, have I been getting sneak attacks or there? All right, and so... And ask your kids about it. So the reason I said do that Saturday is I'm going to ask all the kids to do that as well. And so Saturday, Sunday, sometime around there, this will just be a way to say, hey, did you do that thing Wednesday about attacking temptation? And, and it could be as simple as that. Just, just curious how to do it. Uh, or just curious once you know I'm praying for you as you deal with temptation. Right? It could be very light. doesn't have to be, um, but, to, but to, to do that. All right, so we'll close with, with this. Um, the analogy, uh, was it uh, Jonathan Edwards, was a, I think a Puritan pastor back in the 1700s. He wrote this, this uh, sermon called Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. And we were doing this study on Romans a few years ago, remember uh, Kelly? And um, this somehow had come up, and so I downloaded it and read it. It's like 20 pages. And I encourage you guys to read it because one of the things that's amazing about this is the way that he lays out very vividly our position before Jesus, before we've allowed him to come and take away the wrath of God for our sins before we accept him as our savior. And one of the illustrations he used is he said, all right, when we're born, when we go into this world, the wrath of God, the righteous, just anger of God for the sins that we inherited and that we participate in in our lives, it's like water building up behind a dam. Right? So we have a picture of Hoover Dam here. And it basically says on the other side of this life, when we die, that dam will break. And the weight of that wrath that God 
righteously has for our sin will be unbearable. No one can bear it. In fact, the only person that could bear it was Jesus Christ. He came here. He was tempted. He did not sin. And then because he died a death without ever sinning, he was able to go and, and, and take everybody's dam and empty the, that, that's accepted him as their savior and emptied the water from the other side. And so the analogy is we, if we're believers in Jesus Christ, if we've made him the Lord of our life and we're trusting him for our salvation, then we're trusting him that we're standing at the bottom of this dam is the analogy, and that when it breaks, it's going to be dry as a bone on the other side, right? Because the scripture says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? That's the whole point of the promises God's given us in, in his salvation. And so if we can trust Jesus with that, clearly the biggest thing we could ever trust anybody is our eternity, paying our unpayable debt. Well then, with that perspective, doesn't it seem a little bit silly when we don't trust him to give us the friendships we need in this life? Or you don't trust him to give us the comfort that we need in this life and so we, can, we can go on and on. And so really, that's going to be the challenge Wednesday also with our kids is just to say, well, let's run back and let's not forget the gospel and forget that those of us uh, who, who are following God and, and, or have accepted his free gift of salvation, we're trusting him with the greatest thing. And so we can trust him in these other things. Uh, and then we'll also share Wednesday share it here too, because this is very much a, a talk pointed at the believer, because it doesn't really make sense to trust God <laughs> with these hard things if you don't already have a relationship with God. And so hopefully, uh, and if there's anyone here that, that has not accepted Jesus in his life and has been looking at what does that mean, well then my encouragement would be, let's dig in to understand what, what is our position before God and what has he done for us in that, and then come to how do we apply that same trust there into our day-to-day lives and receive the blessings of God, which is peace. Peace that God is in control and all we have to do is be obedient and in eternity, everything else is to our, our greatest benefit.